Father in heaven, I thank you that your grace is more than enough, even when we don't feel it or understand it. God, I want to pray for my brothers and sisters today. God, I need you. I need you to intercede on my behalf. I cannot do this on my own, and I recognize it. So I place myself before your throne and ask for you to take this circumstance, this situation, this individual, this pain. And God, I ask that you bring healing to my life, to my predicament. God, I know that you see it. I know that you hear me. And God, I am trusting you. God, I ultimately know that you will do what brings you the most glory. So God, I ask that you strengthen me for this journey, that you strengthen me for this time, that you give me a double measure of your strength. Oh Lord, increase my faith. Lord, may I suffer well for your sake. And God, may your name be praised. So Lord, I submit my my time to you, my life to you. God, take it. Mold me, make me, sustain me, empower me, so that, Lord, I may honor you in this process. God, I am asking you to do a miracle. I'm asking you to heal. And I'm trusting you. And, Lord, if you don't heal it exactly like I think you should, which is often the case, God, then I ask that you give me faith and strength to endure that you give me wisdom and discernment. God, I just want you to be glorified, so I submit this time to you. I submit my life to you. I submit my situation to you. May the name of the Lord be praised in the name of Jesus, our Lord and Savior, King, Healer, Provider, our everything. We ask these things. Amen. You may be seated. We are in the book of Mark, chapter 4. And uh, some of you remember back in May, we were going through the book of Mark, and then we, then I left. That's basically what happened. Uh, and uh, then we had our anniversary celebration. So I want to encourage you to uh, feel free to, um, uh, to study uh, the book of Mark. Uh, again, we're starting here in chapter 4. And so if that can help you, uh, well, it will help you. I, I encourage you to do that. Uh, we're going to be looking at verse 21 through 34 today. And uh, as we look at this text, I think it's still important that we understand a little bit of background. A lot of times people will say, well, why did Jesus keep speaking in parables? And there are some simple reasons for that. Number one, uh, because it was prophesied that the Messiah would speak in parables. So part of this is a fulfillment of prophecy. Uh, but also, you're in a culture where most people are uneducated. It was believed that 90 to 95 percent of all women were uneducated, had not learned to read or write. Matter of fact, it was frowned upon uh, in that culture unless uh, you're an aristocrat. Uh, and then uh, at least 40 to 50, if not 60 percent of the men were uneducated at this point. So the thought that I'm going to write a lot of things down and I'm going to learn them in that manner uh, would not have worked for the majority of the culture at that time. So with that understanding, Jesus is speaking, and most of them uh, are, are dependent upon the agriculture for, to sustain their livelihoods. They all were familiar with agriculture. They all grew something. Uh, even if they lived in the city, probably, uh, they grew some kind of plants or something of that nature, even outside of their home, much like you do, except they were more dependent upon it. And so in that culture, Jesus is trying to explain and trying to, to bring understanding to those whom normally the messages didn't resonate with. 
Jesus is giving uh, understanding and insight through these parables, through these stories. And again, even today, we most remember stories over simply a list of facts, over simply uh, a lesson on history. What we remember are the stories. So Jesus is a master at taking the stories, taking these parables and using them to drive home the point. And the point here is the kingdom of God. The point here is he is the Messiah. And the kingdom of God simply means this. It means the rule of God. It means the divine rule of God, the divine order, the way that he intended things to be. And Jesus is bringing this. He is bringing this and he's shedding light on the way that the world will one day be. One day there'll be a new earth created, a new earth in which everything will be perfect. Everything will be like it was before sin entered into the equation. It's the divine order. That's the way it was for Adam and Eve, and we can expect it will even be more glorious, even more wonderful. So I know a lot of times, and we've talked about this before, people kind of have the impression that, uh, you know, one day uh, it will all be in heaven up there with God somewhere, wherever that is in the universe. And that is true. Our spirit goes to be with God when we die, but he is going to recreate the earth. He will establish a new heavens and a new earth, one that's perfect, one that meets that goes beyond our wildest dreams and our wildest expectations. And that will be the rule, the place in which God has full rule, in which we all recognize it, and it will all be as it was meant to be. Every desire that we have, because we will have been remade into the image of the perfect image of Christ, will be fulfilled. We now are time-bound creatures meant for a timeless eternity. So we continually struggle while we're here on this earth. But the day is coming one day where there'll be no more sin. There'll be no more pain. There'll be no more sorrow. There'll be no more longing. All will be fulfilled in joy for those who know Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. Now, Jesus is beginning to say, look, I want you to understand the divine order. I want you to understand what the kingdom's going to mean. And I want the kingdom to begin right here on earth. I'm coming in the presence and my authority here on earth. And I want you to understand what divine authority is. I want you to understand what divine order is. And so I want to give you some pictures. What you have thought and maybe even been taught is to uh, the victor goes a spoil. That power and money and control, that's what's important. That I'm not sure why that's up there. Uh, That's that's what's up there. Um, So... We just did that on purpose. What do you think about that? Um, you know what? Let's, I've already lost you now. Let's just come on back. Let's go to this, okay? Let's go ahead and go back to the slide. Here's a picture of something being used in a distorted fashion, okay? There was a natural order that irons are supposed to be used and coffee pots are supposed to be used. But here's a distorted image of how an iron is used for a coffee pot, okay? This is not what it was intended for. Here's just a complete waste. I, I don't get this one at all. Talking about distorted, wouldn't it have been more expensive just to get your air conditioner fixed? Uh, I can't imagine what that does to your gas mileage right there, uh, just running that thing. What's the reason for this? I, is there some kind of safety code that I'm missing here that if I just pretend like uh, my seatbelt may work in this instance? You know, I love this chair. Can I just put it on the back of the motorcycle and just ride around in that manner? I don't know about safety here. If you're a redneck, you're probably looking at this right now and going, hey, that looks like a good idea. <laughs> hey, it's something that works. 
it worked, but not the purpose intended. How about this one? Hey, I, you know, I can't find my pump. If I just, I'll just get my bagpipe of it, big bagpipes out, and I'll air up the tire here. And then my personal favorite is this one right here. Honey, I need the kitchen table today. <laughs> there was a purpose for which each, each of these were created, and that's not it. Jesus, in this first illustration he's going to give, he shows the distorted image. He shows the distorted order, so to speak, as opposed to the divine order. Right here in Mark chapter 1, verse 21, he says, Is a lamp brought in to be put under a basket or under the bed? Isn't it to be put on a lampstand? For nothing is concealed except to be revealed, and nothing is hidden except to come to light. Jesus says, you know, I've come to earth here. I've come to bring the message of hope, the message of salvation. And some of you want it to be like to meet your own selfish desire. Some of you are thinking, you know, when the Messiah comes, he's going to get rid of this Roman Empire. We're going to be in charge. We're going to be in control. We'll be calling the shots. Things will be the way that we want them. That's what's going to happen when the Messiah comes. And many people wanted Jesus to do that. That was the message that they wanted him to preach. They wanted him to preach a revolution of a political sense, of a physical sense. But Jesus comes in a spiritual nature to bring life for eternity, to bring hope and forgiveness, to bring salvation. Not for temporary, quote, success, temporary control. Not the distorted view of the world that says, get all you can and can all that you can get. Be in control. Make sure that you always win and someone else always loses. That was the common philosophy of the day and still the common philosophy today. And Jesus comes in saying, the last shall be first and the first shall be last. He who seeks to save his life will lose it, but he who loses his life for my sake shall find it. And that's the divine order. But that wasn't a popular message. And Jesus says, when you say that's not right, when you want to squelch that spirit, when you want to make me something else, what you're doing is you're taking a cover and you're putting it over the light. You know, in that day and age, uh, lighting was almost non-existent, except for, at nighttime, except for the lamp, the oil. And, you know, there was a cost to that. And you didn't want to waste your money, so you would buy a couple of lamps and you would use them and you would uh, be conscientious of the oil like we're conscientious of electricity. And so if you had one, what you wouldn't do is go, hey, just cover that up. You wouldn't want to just burn that oil. That was bur literally burning money. You would never do that. When it was time to sleep, you'd turn that off. And you would, or you would blow it out, whatever the case may be. And Jesus is saying, hey, you've been given a beautiful gift. You've been given the divine revelation of God Himself. I am bringing you the message that you have longed for. Here is the order. Here is the kingdom. And many are saying, but that's not what we're looking for. Some were saying, that's not right. I'm not going to receive that. And that moves to our second point. If anyone has ears to hear... He should listen. And then he said to them, pay attention to what you hear, for by the same measure you use it, it will be measured and added unto you. 
For to the one who has, it will be given. And for the one who does not have, even what he has will be taken away. Jesus uses this expression several th- times throughout the Gospels. And it's hard for us sometimes. We don't, we don't like to hear it. What do you mean to whom much is, to whom some is given, he will get more. And to the one who's not faithful, what he has will even be taken away. Now, you know, it's the parable of the talents. Here's what he's saying. You know what? This is not about education. This is not about social status. What this is about is that I am the Messiah for which you have longed for. And I'm here to give you the hope. I'm here to give you the truth. I'm here to give you uh, the understanding of the kingdom. And if you're open to it, you will receive more and more. You will hear these parables and they'll start to make sense. And the Spirit of God will resonate in you. But if you say, no, I'm not going to receive that. I'm not going to take that. That's not what I want. The way that many people do today in our culture. You know, that's not the kind of God that I want. Some God who judges sin. That's not, I'm looking for a God of love. You know, I'm not looking for a God. I want a God who's very open-minded and He's open to all things. He's open up. You're just hardening your heart and you don't receive from the Holy Spirit. The same thing was occurring in this time. That's not the message we want to hear. That's not what we're looking for. But some opened their hearts. And God began to plant the seed through the power of the Holy Spirit. And it began to open up their eyes. They began to sense the hope. They began to believe this is the promised one. This is the Messiah. This is the salvation that we've been looking for. And as they would listen, they would grow. And they would receive. And they would become empowered. You see, the first point was the divine versus the distorted. The second point is... Faith empowers us toward the divine order. You see, when Jesus really gets a hold of your life, then it's not so radical to say, you know what? I'm willing to give sacrificially. I'm willing to share. I'm willing to serve, though it costs me a lot, though it's hard, though it's difficult. I'm willing to give my life for the cause of Christ. And to whom much is given much more will be added. Much is required, but much faith and much power is given. The third point, Jesus says here that the kingdom of God is like this. Let me help you understand it. A man scatters seed on the ground. He sleeps and rises night and day, and the seed sprouts and grows. And he doesn't know how. Then the soil produces a crop. First the blade, then the head, then the ripe grain of the head. But as soon as the crop is ready, he sends for the sickle because the harvest has come. He said, you know what? He said, it's it's like seed that gets scattered, the kingdom of God. The word that I am preaching to you today, that I am giving to you, Jesus says, it's like seed that is scattered in the ground. It's like a very small seed for some of you. And as it goes into the ground, it's going to go through a process that you won't really understand. You really won't notice. As it goes into the soil, it'll be fed and literally it dies and then it sprouts. And because of the minerals and the composition of the soil, it will begin to grow. And you might not even see it for a while and then it'll sprout out. It'll come to the place to where it will produce grain or fruit. And then one day it'll be harvested. And that's a... Also, that's kind of what we call an eschatological uh, prophecy there, that one day Christ is going to harvest. He's going to take the believers from this earth, and we will dwell with him 
forever. But right now, I am planting seed. And I'm planting seed much like uh, the farmer did. Matter of fact, if you think about it, think about Jesus Christ, who's God, fully God, fully man. He was a seed, wasn't he? Let's think about it for just a moment, how Jesus came to this earth. You know how he came to this earth? As a seed implanted by the Holy Spirit in Mary. He was a seed. The smallest of seeds. You couldn't even see it. He became an embryo. Then he became an infant. He became a child. He became a teenager. He became a man. And then gave his life fully and willingly upon the cross so that you and I might know salvation. That's the life of Christ. That's the life of the seed, and that's the life that we've been given. See, here's the truth. <clears throat> we are to be like this seed. And he'll give a great illustration here in just a moment. You may be thinking today, well, I don't know a lot. I don't have a lot of talent. I'm not especially gifted. <clears throat> Jesus said, if you have the faith, the grain of a mustard seed. Now, that's the next point that he's going to bring to us. We see that we are to develop our faith here. To develop our faith, it produces power as we grow, as we allow God to water us, as we choose to grow, as we choose to practice spiritual disciplines, as we pray, as we uh, read Scripture, as we study in classes, as we study alone, as we share of the story of Christ in our lives. It produces power. And then Jesus says, let me try to illustrate it to you very simplistically. Matter of fact, he says this exactly. He says, how can I illustrate this to you? How can we illustrate you the king of God or the parable? What can we use to describe it? And he uses something they would have been very familiar with. Jesus says this. It's like a mustard seed that's grown in the soil and is smaller than all other seeds on the ground. And when it sows, it, so it comes up and grows taller than all the other vegetables and produces large branches so that the birds of the sky can nest in the shade. <clears throat> He said, you know, I've actually got some mustard seeds here this morning, and you can't see them because they're really small. They're really, really small. What's interesting is, historically we know this, or I guess if you're a botanist, you even know this, that uh, these are not the smallest seeds in the world, okay? Uh, there are actually seeds that you can't see <laughs> with a naked eye. There are seeds that small. So what is he talking about? Was he just wrong? No, he's talking, what, to a specific group of people in their culture, in their agriculture. And in their gardens, the smallest seed that they would have planted would have been the mustard seed. And what was amazing is that seed would grow and it would get large. It could get 6, 8, 10, 12. There are instances where it could even get 15 feet high. And this is a kind of a bush, a mustard bush, so to speak. And it becomes so large that birds literally could land it and people could usually actually use it for, uh, for shade. But it all starts off as a seed this size that you can't even see from out there. And I can barely see without my glasses. That's the size that it started. What's amazing is what will happen with this seed. The seed literally becomes our Savior the seed literally becomes the foundation of the church as he's speaking to this group of individuals. Matter of fact, I, I want to just show you what happens with the seed of faith. I want to show you, uh, first of all, 
How do we grow it? We've talked about the development. We have a little circle here I want to show you. First of all, the conviction. When men and women, the conviction of God would come upon their heart, it would be that seed. But the next step had to be this. It had to be a decision. I'm going to make a decision to follow Christ. It's not at this day and age. It certainly was not popular. Uh, Most people uh, didn't know anything about it. But those who made the decision to follow Christ, it took action. They were required to exercise their faith and then continued action, which led to the habit, the habit of worship, the habit of praying, the habit of believing, of exercising their faith, the habit of sharing the good news and the story which they heard, which brought the harvest, which brought the impact. And it all started as just a little seed. They would get a little parable. They would get like the prodigal son parable. That here is the father waiting for the son to come to him. And he runs to him. He doesn't force himself upon him, but he waits for the son to come. And then you see the impact that it has. Now, just a mustard seed of faith produced what we see in the early Christianity, the early church. If we can, let's go to that slide. And I want you to see what occurred. We don't know exactly what year Jesus died. Historians know this. It was somewhere between 33 and 38 B.C. So we've got about a five-year range. You know, historians will argue over that. But somewhere around 35, 36 A.D. is probably the time of Jesus' death. At the time Jesus died, there were only 120 followers of Christ. Only 120 believers. That's all there were. But by 40 A.D., there were 5,000. We know that Pentecost occurs. We don't know the exact date, but we know from Acts chapter 4 that there are 5,000 believers. In 100 A.D., there are 12,000 believers. By 150 A.D., there are 40,000 believers. Remember, it all started with a seed. There was one, there was 12, then there were 120 it's a pretty small group of people. By 200 A.D., there's 217,000 believers. By 250, there's 1,171,000 people. And by 300 A.D., there are 6 million people. That's in 200 years, you see, it goes from 12,000 to 6 million people, according to Robert Stark, uh, the historian. And by 350 A.D., there are 30 million Uh, Some scholars say one out of every two people on this earth were a follower of Christ. Uh, Of course, that's after the time of Constantine. But you know what's interesting? From now, there was there was uh, certainly persecution by Nero to the Christians uh, back in 64 A.D. But that was somewhat localized and in a very small margin. But beginning about 110, 120 A.D. up until 300 A.D., really 310 A.D. That's when Christianity basically becomes illegal and they start to stomp it out. You start to see thousands and thousands of people martyred and killed for their faith. They instituted uh, basically uh, Caesar or pagan worship and uh, Caesar worship. And you had to make a sacrifice on a certain day before the statue of Caesar. And the true Christians would not do it. And so many of them died for their faith at that time. They chose to die. Men, women and children. Uh, and what's amazing is the culture began to see that and they began to think, there's nothing that we would die for. 
What is it about these people that they would die for their faith? We've been worshiping these distant Greek and Roman gods, and it's stale, and there's nothing to it, but yet these people will stand for this Jesus, this Yeshua, this one that they believe was God in the flesh, this one they believe is the Savior. They're dying for it. And people became so engaged that they began to flock to Christianity because of the relationship that you could have with the Almighty God, because of the power in these peasant Christians for the most part that begins to transform the world that goes from 120 ragtag people to over 30 million people in less than 300 years. It all started as the grain of a mustard seed. Faith that just said, I want to know more. I believe. I don't understand. I don't have knowledge. I don't know what you're talking about. But as they'd listen, they'd listen more and more. And then they see Jesus die. And many fell away. That's why there's only 120 at that point. They saw him die and it was just too much. But to the ones who believed, God radically changes the world forever. Through basically 120 people who say, I believe. And then Pentecost comes. The Holy Spirit empowers them. And then what really happens, the way the Gospels really spread, is through the persecution. It's amazing. The first shall be last, and the last shall be first. Isn't it amazing in God's economy, we think, man, if you, he must have had some talented preachers. I bet you they had great music, a great Sunday school program. They had a wonderful youth program. Boy, I bet you that's what they had. Nope. They had some ignorant fishermen who said, I believe, and I will die for what I believe. I believe that Jesus is the Son of God, and I will bow my knee to no other. And it all started. It's just a mustard seed of faith. He goes, that's what the kingdom is like. That's what it's going to look like when my kingdom takes root and my people begin to give themselves for the cause of faith. Of Christ, you will see a literal explosion. And that's exactly what happened. That's what he prophesied. And that's what still is happening. Now, do you realize, I'm not going to go way into this, do you realize the explosion in Christianity that's occurring right now? No, you don't, because you live in the United States and it's not happening right here. But if you get out of the West, if you go to Asia... We're seeing, uh, we're seeing countries where Christianity has grown 600% in the last 10 years. It's amazing. You know, in China, when the communist regime came in and they kicked all the Christians out, they booted all the missionaries out, and we thought we were going to completely lose the country. And then missionaries are able to go in about 100 years later, or I guess it was about 75 years later, and they found out that church had flourished the seed and the persecution had mixed together and it caused revival to spread throughout the land. It's happened in Korea. It's happened in Vietnam. We're seeing, uh, we're seeing something amazing right now that's happening in the Islamic world, in the Mideastern culture. Even though you're not hearing about it, Christianity underground is flourishing. It's amazing. We know in Africa <clears throat> that it is literally causing a stir and a movement amongst that continent like never seen before. If you go back to the 1900s, early 1900s, we've seen uh, Christianity grow by over 2,000% in the last 100 years, and a lot of that's come in the last 20 years. South America, Latin America, 
you're seeing the seed spread and the kingdom take root. Now, why is that? Why is that happening in those countries? Why did it happen in early Christianity? I'll tell you one of the reasons. Because they were desperate people looking for hope, looking for a real God, a real Savior. And they weren't blocked by all the stuff. They weren't trying to say, you know what, God, you do this for me and you do that for me. You make me healthy and wealthy and I'll worship you. God, you take care of your end of the bargain. You do your 50%, I'll do my 50%. No, what they did is they totally submitted and they said, God, we will give our lives completely to you. We give ourselves to you. And God has taken them in revival has moved across most of the face of the earth outside of Europe and and North America. That's literally what's happening today. And what is the common ingredient that we see with the early rise of Christianity? Persecution. And quite frankly, what we would call poverty. Because they don't know any better than to just trust God because He is their hope. The truth of it is we have a lot of gods. We have the God of entertainment. We have the God of money. We have the God of vocation. Uh, we have the God of power. We have the God of we, we have the God of freedom of choice. I just want to do it my way, and we'll get God to adjust to me. We want to take the Bible and say, you know, this works for me, but I don't like the God in the Old Testament. I don't take that one. He's the same God, by the way. Okay, I am the Lord thy God. I change not. He's the same God. But when you start picking and choose what you do, as you begin to basically disengage and dismember the power of God. And you go, God, I don't need that. I don't need that. I don't need that. And what God's saying, no, you need all of me. And I need all of you. And when that happens, when you will say, God, I give you myself, it becomes like that mustard seed. God, I plant all that I am in the soil of your kingdom. Use me. So here's my challenge to you. Who are you praying for right now that they would come to know Christ? Who is it that you're praying for that you're taking the mustard seed of faith and saying, God, I want to plant in your kingdom. God, I am praying that you would use me. God, I pray that you would bring this person to salvation. God, I pray that you would open the doors for me to share with them. God, I commit to learn your word. And God, if that means being in discipleship 101 or in a class, God, I will learn. God, I commit to give you my finances and to give you control. And, and I want to operate and I want to use them in a way that w- will benefit your kingdom. I'm telling you, if we do that, if we would take God as word, take him seriously, that he controls all of our life. He would take that seed, that lack of talent that we have, that lack of knowledge that we have, that lack of ability. And he will cause it to flourish. And you may not see it automatically because it's in the soil of the kingdom. But it will take root. And God will allow it to flourish. And he will be glorified. What about you today? Will you do that? Father, thank you for this time together this morning. Lord, we come before you as men and women that need you, whether we recognize it or not. I pray, God, that you would instill upon our hearts our tremendous need for you. That, God, we see you as our only hope. God, I pray that we would stand strong when persecuted for our values, whether it's for the institution of marriage or the protection of family, that we'd stand strong and say, I believe in the Word of God. I don't want to be arrogant. I don't want to be malicious. 
but I stand firm on the word and the principles of God. And I will not bow to the idol of secularism. Lord, I pray that that would be true for each of us. That we would pray in faith for those who need you. For those who are struggling. And we would believe. Lord, if there's one here that doesn't know you today, I pray that they would take that step to say, I believe. I don't have much faith, but I... The mustard grain say, that's, that's all I know. I just know that he's God and I'm not and I want to know him. Then that's the first step. That's the mustard seed. And will you commit to let him water it to help you to grow? If you've not done that, I want to invite you to do that today. Maybe you're here today as a Christian and you've just been existing. Would you ask God to reconnect his spirit to you? And that you would start with that seed of faith and say, God, I'm, I'm ready. I'll serve right here in the church. I'll, I'll serve wherever you want me to serve. God, I'm ready to pray. I'm ready to say, God, I'm going to make me a prayer list of people that I want to see come to you. People I want to see lives transformed. Of marriages I want to see restored. And God, I'm going to, I'm going to begin to pray and begin to ask. And I don't know how to pray. I don't know how to go about this process. But I'm going to take the mustard seed of faith. And I'm going to ask you to do what I cannot do. Some of you, there's someone that you just need to share your faith. You've known for a long time. I just need to share with them what I believe and ask the Holy Spirit to do what I cannot do. Would you plant that seed and let the Spirit of God work through it? Some of you need to reassess your finances, your time and your resources and what you're doing with them. And you need to say, God, I'm going to trust you. I'm going to to plant it in the soil. And God, would you... Use it. God, use me. Would you respond to him in that way? Father, we say yes to you. Let our mustard seed grain of faith spring forth and produce life so that others might taste of the Lord and see that he is good.